The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to the Ask Harry podcast. This is Harry Margolis, and this is the podcast where we interview experts on all aspects of estate planning. In this episode of Ask Harry, Harry talks with his colleague, Laura Goodman, associate at Margolis and Bloom, on the subject of powers of attorney. Hi, Laura. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks, Harry. How are you? Good. So we've got a key topic to discuss today, powers of attorney, and in fact, durable powers of attorney. So, so what is a durable power of attorney? So this is a document that appoints another person to basically step into your shoes and make any decisions that you would be able to make with respect to finances and administering your affairs. It doesn't cover healthcare decisions. That would be covered under a healthcare proxy, but pretty much all other affairs can be covered through a power of attorney. So why is it called a durable power of attorney? So a durable power of attorney is a power of attorney that um, takes effect when the principal signs it. And it continues even beyond the point if the principal were to become incapacitated. So even if they lose the, the, their, um, sorry, even if they are no longer competent, this document may, stays in effect and the agent that they appointed in it can continue to use it. So why would you want a power of attorney that's not durable, that would end when you became incapacitated? Good question. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't have an answer for that, Harry. I, I don't know why you would want one. So, so all the powers we do are durable powers of attorney. We always recommend that our clients have a durable power of attorney unless they have some good reason why they, they shouldn't um, have this type of document. But the power of attorney takes effect right when you sign it. So why do we have powers of attorney that do that when you don't even want it to be effective in, in le- unless you become incapacitated? Yeah. So it does become effective when you sign it. We do let clients know that even though it's effective, the agent should not be using it unless there is an actual need to. They have a fiduciary duty to the principal. And so they shouldn't be just using this for if the principal is able to you know, handle their affairs themselves. The reason that we do it this way versus requiring incapacity in order for a power of attorney to become effective is that often financial institutions or other bodies, they don't want to deal with determining if a principal has lost capacity. That could lead to liability issues for them. There could be disagreements over whether someone truly has capacity or not and can just create a whole host of problems. So rather than you know risk litigation or, or other issues, some banks may not want to accept the springing power of attorney. So, so we generally recommend that our clients do a general durable power of attorney that becomes effective when they sign it, as long as they do have someone that they can trust to appoint in that role. Who should they appoint in that role? So that's it's completely dependent on their personal situation. I think the most common person that you would appoint would be your spouse if you have one. If you don't have a spouse, or maybe if you and your spouse are older, you may appoint a child. You know, less commonly you might be getting into you know siblings or close friends, and you can also appoint professionals. So if you don't have a close family member or a friend who you trust or who you think could serve in this role and then handle the responsibilities. You could appoint a lawyer. I don't think you can appoint a financial advisor in most cases, but there are you know, certainly lawyers and, and other professionals that would may be able to serve at a cost. They, you know, they would charge for their time. So there is you know, that drawback. 
And uh, can you point more than one person to this role? You can. So that that does happen. You could, you know, if you have two children that, you know, are work well together and, you know, both live relatively close by, it might not be a bad idea to appoint them together if that's what you want. It can be, it can create some administrative obstacles in some cases, you know, particularly if both of the attorneys, in fact, have to sign documents or be present at, you know, an institution, especially if they don't live near each other, and especially if they're going to disagree about about certain decisions, it can be a bit of a headache. So I, I don't always recommend appointing more than one person, but you certainly can do that. If you do appoint uh, more than one do they all, they both have to sign everything? So like sign every check or, or things like that? No, I mean, you can, we grant what we call joint and several power in our document. So they can, which means that they can um, act together. They can also act separately. I think it's really up to the financial institution. Sometimes they do require both signatures, not necessarily on checks, but certainly to set up accounts or make major transactions. So that's usually where we run into kind of being a bit of a headache for both attorneys, in fact, to have to participate in those types of decisions. So once you've signed this power of attorney document and say I appoint you, Laura, as my agent under my power of attorney, and uh, then I decide uh, that was a really bad idea and I should appoint somebody else, I assume I can change that. I'm just wondering how I do that. Right. Yeah, you, you can change it at any time. You can create a new power of attorney, basically revoking any prior powers of attorney that you've executed in the past and appoint someone new. If, if you don't have someone to appoint, you can still revoke a power of attorney if you don't want that person serving anymore. And you should, if you do appoint, if you do sign a new power of attorney, you should make sure that you're destroying any old copies you have so that those can't fall into the wrong hands and that there's no confusion. And I assume let the person you knew that you appointed uh, in the first place know that she's no longer serving in that role. That's right. Yes, you should certainly notify them. And if they happen to have a copy of the power of attorney, ask them to um, either give it back to you or ask them to destroy it. And so but what happens if you don't have a power of attorney and you become incapacitated? So that can be a, a bit of a hardship. So if you don't have a power of attorney and you don't have anyone who is authorized to make financial decisions for you, it may be necessary to go to the probate court and pursue what we call conservatorship. So there's two there's two probate processes for persons who are living but who lack capacity, and that's guardianship and conservatorship. So guardianship is over healthcare and, and personal affairs. Conservatorship is over financial affairs. And it's it's not a simple process. I mean, you have to file um, a formal petition with the court and notify all of your um, you know, immediate family members who are interested parties. And it can take at least several months to, to, to go through the probate court. And so it takes quite a bit of time and, and quite a bit of expense, particularly if you're hiring an attorney to help that help you with that. So a great way to avoid the need for conservatorship is to make sure that you have a power of attorney executed while you're healthy and able to do so and yeah so okay that's that sounds good now a lot of the power our own form and a lot of other power attorney forms i've seen can get to be pretty long mm -hmm. and i'm wondering why that's necessary since aren't you just appointing somebody to to stand in your shoes and once they're in your shoes can't shouldn't they be able to do whatever you could do in terms of finances and legal matters they should, but if there are certain types of powers that unless they're explicitly stated in the document, particularly with respect to, well, there's a lot of different these types of powers, but an example is real estate. So if you don't specifically 
state that your power of attorney has authority to participate in real estate transactions on your behalf, whether that be, you know, getting a mortgage or selling a property. If that's not in your power of attorney document, then you won't be able to exercise those powers. You know, certainly things, if you don't specifically state that you, your power of attorney has retirement plan powers, then the, you know, the company managing your IRA is not going to accept the attorney. In fact, you know, change, making changes to your retirement plan. So what am I trying to say? So, <laughs> so the list of powers that we include in our power of attorney are very expansive. They include some powers that you may not want, and, and they can certainly be customized. If you don't want your attorney, in fact, to have the power to make gifts, for example, or to, you know, create trust for your benefit, you could certainly take those powers out. But this list of powers we've found is basically it gives your attorney, in fact, the ability to take any steps that may be necessary to make administration of your estate easier. So, so I take it that basically the power of attorney is only um, as good as it's accepted by the other party it's, it's being presented to. So you got to make sure the bank accepts it or the investment company holding your IRA or the real estate attorneys who are vouching for a, a real estate transaction. You got to make sure um, that they accept it by including powers that they want to see. Right. But I also understand, or I've seen in our practice, a couple other problems sometimes in terms of acceptance. And, and one is what I've often called the staleness doctrine. And uh, I'll just talk about that, which is that for no good reason, a lot of investment houses and banks say, well, if the power of attorney is old, then uh, they won't accept it, even though there's no basis in law for that position. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in fact, I think it's a perverse and backward pos- position because probably the person who's incapacitated today was more likely to have had capacity 10 years ago than 10 weeks ago, but they seem to like the 10-week-old power of attorney better. I don't know, have you, have you run into that? Yeah, we, we have run into that, and it's it can almost be a catch-22, especially with clients who are older or who may be having some cognitive issues, because if they have this power of attorney that's you know, 15, 20 years old, and a bank is not going to accept it, they may not be, they may not have the capacity to sign a new one. And mm-hmm. so what, what do you do in that situation? Do you have to pursue a conservatorship? That, that seems really unreasonable. So we, even though we don't agree with this kind of doctrine or this rule that some um, banks have, we generally recommend um, that everyone look at their documents at least every five years. Doesn't mean you have to update them every five years, but certainly if you're you know, looking at your plan and making some tweaks, it's not a bad idea to also update your power of attorney, um, assuming you're still in the healthy and, and can do so. Even though it'll say exactly the same thing, you're just freshening it up. Exactly. exactly. And it's not just lawyers looking to charge more fees. No, it's not. <laughs> we don't make enough money on that to make it worth it. So, so another method that I've seen this often help again with banks and financial institutions is to use their forms. So I don't know if you want to comment on that at all. Yeah. So if, if you bring a power of attorney document to your bank, and they're going to start, you know, putting your attorney, in fact, in their system. They have something called the signature card that they'll have to get a signature from the person. They often have their own power of attorney document. It's not going to revoke the one that you've created, but it's, it's for whatever reason, they have their own forms that they like to see on file. So basically, it might be just confirming that the power of attorney is is effective and, and valid. But basically, it's a form that they want you to sign as well. And usually, it's 
discussed just to <laughs> um, go along with what they're requesting to, to move things along. So that power of attorney would be just uh, very specific to your accounts at that financial institution and in the other power of attorney that we or your attorney, your lawyer prepares for you would be more general cover. That's right. And that's a little what belts and suspenders to make sure you got everything covered. That's right. That's right. So are there any situations where you wouldn't not advise your clients to have a durable power of attorney? I, I don't think so. Generally, no. The only thing I can think of is that someone truly doesn't have someone they can appoint that they can trust. You know, unfortunately, some people either, you know, have family members who aren't trustworthy or they just don't have close family members. So it can be difficult in those scenarios. And certainly you don't want a situation where someone has appointed a family member or a friend and they end up getting taken advantage of. So it's, it can be difficult. I mean, if, if they can't afford to uh, appoint an attorney in that position, then it, it may just not be um, the, the correct document for them to have in place. So in those cases, even though a conservatorship is a lot more cumbersome and expensive, it may provide more protection than a power of attorney. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I think probably a trust might also be another alternative. Right, right. If they, if you can, if they have a trust or if they can set up a trust, they could appoint a successor trustee who can help manage any assets in those trusts for, for the individual. Um, and that could be a bank or a trust company yeah. or an attorney. Right. And in some cases, a nonprofit organization. Um, there are some nonprofit organizations that run trusts for, particularly for disabled and elderly individuals. Very good. Well, everybody, uh, go out and get your durable power of attorney. And thank you very much for ex explaining this, Laura. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes. If you're interested in Harry's book, Get Your Ducks in a Row, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning, please visit margolis.com. That's M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S.com. Ask Harry is a production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.